Welcome to MRCS on the Move. Bowels, bones, and backseat vibers. I'm your host, Naomi, but this is the podcast where you do the talking. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bowels, Bones, and Backseat Vibers. It's nice to be back with you. Um, I'm going to start with a couple of apologies. First one is the probable increased background noise. Uh, that's due to my um, new puppy, Darcy. She is currently running around uh, behind us, trying to entertain herself, but definitely not, as demonstrated perfectly there, remaining quiet. Um, unfortunately, I do not have a soundproof studio that I can keep her out of, so apologies for that. <laughs> Secondly, I probably shouldn't apologize for him but uh, he may embarrass me so I may have to. Our guest this uh, episode is the one and only Tim Dry who also happens to be my father. I am reluctant to say sometimes in front of him very proud um, but he is known nationally as a very successful statistician um, so I've brought him on to the episode today to help us try and uh, grasp some statistics a bit better. Probably what he is most disappointed in me for is my fairly deep hate of statistics. Um, I'm a strong believer it's a very Marmite topic. Most of us hate it in the medical world. Uh, He thinks he can disprove that and it's probably down to the fact that we are not taught it very well anyway. So without further ado, welcome Tim slash dad. If you would like to introduce yourself, give a little... Opening yeah, spiel. By the way, thank you for having me along. I, uh, as I say, I, I need to show that statistics really is a marmite subject, and there really is some people who positively love it. Me being one example, and and I, and I think fundamentally, one of the the inspirations for loving it is to see quite how profound the things you're trying to do when you're doing statistics are, and how philosophically important they are for the the whole infrastructure of science. As I say, without 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 it, you would just be doing quackery and be quite unreliable. So, so what statistics is really trying to do is say, how can we learn from the past and by simply counting things, profound universal ideas of things that we think really happen and really generate cause and effect behaviours, which we can then use in medicine to affect and bring about good changes in the medical world or, or whatever else you use statistics it's profound methods of making sure you can induce new information and new reliable insights that's exciting i think <laughs> thank you well i hope you can um instill some of your excitement into me finally uh-huh. <laughs> maybe um so what we're going to do is um obviously we are most of us are here to um pass the exam um, we do want to cover the things that come up in that and give you the definitions of that, but don't want it to be dry. So hopefully we'll get that balance right. So but we're going to go through a bit about the different types of studies that we uh, use, the hierarchy of evidence that they are then placed into. We'll talk a bit about the different types of data, go through some, some definitions, um, and then finish off with just a little bit about biased uh, we may do another episode um, covering some other things um, at some point, but this is our starting point. So, um, normal structure 
I'll ask a question, we'll give some time for you guys to think, and then Tim will... It feels very strange calling you Tim. <laughs> so apologise if there's a hesitation before any time I say that. He'll give you the perfect answer. First of all, can you tell me what the hierarchy of evidence is? Okay, so um, this this goes from uh, first thing you can do is talk to experts, so expert opinion. Then you can find, look for case reports. Then you see a series of different cases to see if things happen. Then you might uh, construct something together to, into what's called a case control, and then a cohort study. Then what some people like to think of as the randomized control study. We'll come back to that a little bit. Then then where you group together meta, the randomized control or whatever studies into meta-analysis and then some form of systematic review. I, In thinking about that list, I thought of the acronym, everyone foresees really messed up statistics. <laughs> so everybody foresees really messed up statistics course that's until you get statisticians come along and unmess it okay we've gone over the different types of studies let's go deeper into that and talk about what each of them are so what is a case control study okay so a case control study is is retrospective i that means you're looking back in the past at what's happened it's observational so you're not introducing anything you're just looking what happened and you're typically looking at the progress of a particular disease so you you take out the cases which are those that have the disease or whatever outcome you're studying at you then identify some controls who didn't have the outcome and disease but in all of the cases are as similar as possible before the actual outcome occurred and then you assess for those exposures linked to the cases risk factors as you might try and identify based on how the the ones with the case and the ones with the control differ so that would be a, a good example that would be sort of lung cancer and smoking that's and well yeah that's how they started certainly other sm if you look back in the history of smoking that's that's what what happened and it's the the early stages that you look at because you don't have to invest in anything in the future you, you try mm. and uncover what's happened in the past um okay so let's just next go with probably should have done this first but what's a cross-sectional survey which ones does this cover Okay, so a, a cross-sectional study is, is comes under what's, what we call the case series. So it's where we're looking, again, observationally, so we're not, we're not introducing anything, we're just looking at what's available and assess how prevalent particular outcomes are across a population, either at any given time or in any particular place. So they, uh, you, you, it's, you might call it a snapshot. Of, of what's going on and seeing if you can make some assessment of what looks like 
what's happening. And, uh, and in terms of what we're going to look later at, these are quite useful for setting up and creating what you might, what you might then use as the hypothesis, which you test in other methods. Fabulous. Okay, so what's a cohort study? So a cohort study is when we we move from the past, so the retrospective studies where we're looking at what's happened, and we identify a group of people who we're going to monitor in the future. So we don't we don't intervene in that with those people, but we just see how things progress. And ideally, we we might early on allocate people into different bins that we're going to follow. And, and there's some quite important reasons why you you do that rather than trying to allocate them into bins after the event. It, it's, it's partly to try and well, it, it's 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 there really to try and um, prevent a a really difficult problem that's going on in statistics at the moment called repeatability and where where because people are assessing groups after the event and that creates all sorts of bias which is what we'll talk about later on as well oh, we're linking this together very well aren't we okay, sort of <laughs> create a narrative okay so moving on to the big dogs uh randomized control trial what is that Oh, okay. So a randomised control trial is like, like that. that's what when the big dogs get really involved, and, and actually they're also where they're really expensive. And ideally, the randomised control trial will be what's called double blind. And the idea is that when in the randomised control trial, you try and make sure that any of the practitioners don't actually know what they're doing. And so what what you'll do is like the cohort study, you'll divide people up into groups. And you'll ideally divide them up randomly. So you'll toss a coin or use a random number generator to allocate them. So that ideally there's no other difference between the groups, at a group level at least, between them, other than the interventions that you've made. So you can then, you've structured it, you deliberately put it into a comparative idea and you control it. And the reason why you keep them double blind is so that lots of the the psychological differences might not occur. You, when you look at this, you you end up with using placebos, which in a in a medical context might just be a lump of chalk. And and having looked at a number of these studies, you realise quite how powerful the mind is to heal things. When you see quite how strong placebos are. In fact, I've often thought that you should uh, you should actually have a category for just prescribing chalk because <laughs> it would so I'm glad you didn't go into medicine well, but, it's, but it's surprisingly powerful and and reproducible and and um, would, would would save a lot of money and possibly a whole bunch of side effects and what's what's even more interesting is that when people have done psychological studies even when people are told they're getting a placebo it still mm, can sometimes that. help them get 
get better. So our, our minds underneath this sort of practice of medical intervention are incredibly powerful. So, so, <laughs> Can we, so if we, that, that was actually really interesting. Um, but <laughs> don't look I too surprised. Was <laughs> um, but just for the sake of exam answers or short right. answers, we're saying sort of an RCT, what here is a, a structured comparative controlled trial um, or experiment where you've got two or more interventions. Mm-hmm. So in our case, often a, a drug or, or a, a surgical intervention, say. So then they're studied across the groups of individuals that are randomly assigned into the different interventions. Yes. Um, so, and you are making those groups comparative by so reducing confounding factors, etc., etc. So you can be sure, or hopefully as sure as you can be, that the any difference is due to the intervention and not yes. anything else. But that is a problem also, in that actually, what what RCTs do is that they they're very good at then proving that the single intervention you've done, in some way or other, contributes to the cause of the outcome. But what it doesn't do is it, it scrambles up all the other th- contributory factors. So you only ever prove that that uh, intervention is a necessary part of the, the, the solution rather than a sufficient one. So you prove it's necessary, but not all the other things that may need to occur, which is where it becomes very universal. I want, one of the things we want to get our statistics, but can make it less relevant in a complex environment. Mm. Okay. So you can't look at secondary outcomes. That wouldn't cover your... You have to be very careful, particularly if that bit then becomes a, a retrospective examination. If you, if you look at the way clinical... Because you haven't planned for it yes, or told for yeah, it. And, and, and very often that, that can then be... Not, it's not part of the randomisation. And one of the problems with RCTs is when people that had these secondary evaluations that they didn't specify beforehand, they have all sorts of hidden bias... But in the literature, they're given the weight of an RCT. Mm. And, and so they're treated as if they're highly evidential. Mm. When actually the only really highly evidential bit is the stuff that you prescribed mm. beforehand. So I guess that's something for us to be aware of. We, we get asked a lot to critically appraise papers. Mm. So sort of to be aware of the, the quality of something goes down if, if you start using the secondary interventions and stepping away from that primary aim of a study. You just need to use more judgment and not and realise that that bit's not part of the hierarchy of evidence that's really high. That bit's much lower down. It becomes an effect you might call it just expert opinion. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then the last two, um so what is a meta analysis? So a meta-analysis is, is when you take a whole variety of different opinions, bits of evidence, and you collect them together and aggregate them and analyse them across quantitative data, across multiple studies. This, on the one hand, this could um, generate a more universal view of, of the, the thing that you're taking about, because actually it's been applied maybe in different locations. One of the really interesting things I see is I, I came across, there's an interesting study of, of what's called weird effects 
and, and WEIRD stands for Western European Individualistic, Rich and Democratic. And it basically means that a huge amount of, of research has just been done on a narrow segment of the population. Mm. Even, even to the extent that there's, there's also been recent discussion about how a lot of it has been done on, on male and some yeah. male perspectives of medicine and meta-analysis can reinforce that if it doesn't actually bring together for example RCTs that are done across uh, different parts across different parts of the world so you you see the prevalence and the impact of medicines in those different areas because until it does cover those things your universality of assessment really doesn't spread spread out across those different groups so you need to be aware of it. The other thing you need to be really, really aware of when you're doing meta-analysis is that so many failed or insubstantial RCTs and work never gets published. And this is where we'll come along again to bias. But if if a, a, a study is occurs and it produces an insignificant result, hardly any journals will publish them. Hmm. even if the researcher wanted to publish them. And that creates a distortion. So that you end up with some some illustrations where there, were, there was one point, and I think it still is in the literature, where someone did some uh, research on telekinesis. And the only bit of literature that got published was the, like, the one in a hundred times when actually this telekinesis research actually produce a significant result. So, so you're hiding the evidence that says it might not work, it's or like, it might not? Yeah, because I don't think it's particularly it. malicious. Hmm. Just publishers don't want to show things that don't prove Yeah, but it. in a sense you're not and giving a balance. It becomes hidden. Yeah. So I'm saying the, the, the outputs are hidden, whether someone's intentionally hid them. Yeah. That is the case with certain pharmaceutical companies, that they do hide... Yeah. Certain elements, but some of it's also sort of not mentioning any on this podcast. I don't want to. No, I'm not going to mention any. <laughs> yeah. Other than um, say, well, well, no, I won't. No, yeah, let's <laughs> stop there. But, um, but that, that's an important thing to remember when you're doing meta-analysis. Really important. In fact, there is a, a um, as a, a, a move at the moment, particularly in the pharmaceutical sector, that people have to register their RCTs, not only specify what they're going to do, but register it. it it's going to happen before it's actually done and then you can do a meta-analysis of all the experiments that are looked at this thing whether or not they they gave an outcome or not um can i quickly ask are meta-analysis just a group of all rcts or are they everything or is everything oh, a systematic you do, you do review everything. You sh- and, I, and i encourage people to do it on everything because so then so then what is the difference with the systematic review well, I guess a systematic review is where you're, you're trying to group together things that have the same structure. But, and, but typic- and, and to find those that have only done things reliably and, and keep that group. And that's what becomes systematic about it. So meta-analysis can be more wide-ranging. And I, 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 that's where, in some ways, I would have reservations about that hierarchy of evidence. I might well put them the other way around. And that the Ooh, system... Don't say that in your exam. No. Don't listen to him. Ignore that in the exam. <laughs> but uh... Okay. Okay, so essentially so, um, a meta-analysis is a group of um, all the different groups of, of a study 
um, normally yeah. quantitative sort of data, mm-hmm. whereas systematic review is a collection appraisal of all all evidence within a topic that. No, I, but I'd, I'd say if it was systematic, you were taking the, the quantitative elements that fitted a, a proper framework so that you could actually reliably bring together the numbers. Okay. Mm. Okay. Right. So we've basically talked about most of the studies that we'll mm-hmm. come across. We've really shown that there are either observational studies, the cohort, mm-hmm. case report, case series, where you're not really doing anything, you're just observing data. Or they are experimental studies where you're interven- intervening essentially a randomised control trial. Um, okay, uh, just a couple of definitions to slot in here. What is the definition of incidence? So the, the definition of incidence is the rate of occurrence of a new disease within a population. Okay, and what is the definition of prevalence? So prevalence is the frequency of disease in a population in a given time. Can I make a point here? You can. <laughs> it's been shown, and, and there's a lot of stuff in medical research and with medical things that actually it's some, often not helpful to repeat all these numbers as percentages or probabilities. It's much more, it creates much more intuitive behaviour if you repeat them in what's called natural number frequencies. So rather than saying that, for example, the incidence is 0.1% or something, you say that it's three people in every 1,000. Mm-hmm. It, it, it helps you when you're combining things, particularly later on when we look at the, other, the different types of cross-tabulations. Does that help? With things like numbers needed to treat and that's that is where numbers that. need. That's a, it was that whole philosophy that created the numbers needed to Quite treat. Right, that's amazing. Yes, <laughs> that's why that was introduced. Okay, okay, um, fine. I think I'm actually going to um, stop this episode here um, and move on to do a second episode where we'll cover types of data some of the definitions we've we've touched on and um biased and things so we'll i hope you guys have have enjoyed that i know it's a little bit different from our normal um setup uh, thank you very much for the first installment of our statistics series we'll call it now um and uh, we will um look forward to having you back so thank you very much tim and uh yeah we'll be back with you uh, very soon bye bye Oh, well, a dim bone, dim bone, dim, dry bone.